Good afternoon, and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. It's Thursday, March 24th. My name is Will Tarter, co-chair of the City Club of Cleveland Debate Committee, and I'd like to welcome you to today's forum. Last year, Cuyahoga County Executive Armin Budish announced that he would not run for re-election, launching a race for who would be just the third person to hold the seat in the new county executive structure. Home to 1.2 million people, Cuyahoga County has a rich history and is home to some of the nation's leading public, private, and nonprofit institutions. The winner of the general election will play a large role in shaping its future. Leading up to the 2022 primary election, the City Club of Cleveland has been speaking with all three candidates running for Cuyahoga County Executive. Last year, I'm sorry, last week, we heard from Democratic candidate Chris Ronane. And yesterday, Republican candidate Lee Weingart took the stage. And today, we feature Democratic candidate Tariq K. Shabazz. Tariq Shabazz was born and raised in Cleveland and is a veteran of the United States Navy. When, where he attained the title of second-class petty officer. Mr. Shabazz has run twice for Congress, in 2021 in the Democratic primary for Ohio's District 11, and in 2020 against then-United States Representative Marsha Fudge in the Democratic primary. Mr. Shabazz earned a bachelor's degree in political science with a concentration in international relations from American Military University, and today, he is here to explain his platform and why he deserves your vote. Members and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, please join me in welcoming Tariq Shabazz. All right. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you so much. Number one, good morning, everybody. Um, I'm gonna oh, good afternoon. I'm gonna tell you, I'm a little bit nervous today. I'm gonna be honest with you. My my anxiety's a little bit through the roof. You can't tell. My wife knows it. <laughs> I promise you that one. Um, but number one, I want to say good morning, uh, uh, good afternoon, <laughs> and I want to th definitely thank ev uh, thank everyone uh, on the Cleveland City Club and all of your efforts in facilitating democracy in its finest form. And we we cannot forget to acknowledge the most important, which is the people. And all those that are attending today, we want to say thank you so much. You should give yourself a round of applause because this is democracy. <clears throat> we also want to say uh, thank you to the people who are watching via live streams today. We also want to say thank you to the people who will be watching these streams tomorrow. Now, my name is Tariq K. Shabazz, and I'm running to become your next county executive. I'm a husband. I'm a Navy veteran, and I'm a political scientist. Before I was any of those things, though, I was just that little kid that grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. I was just that little child who saw so much of the, the debilitating state of poverty, the conditions in which my mother, I seen her struggle so much just to try to give me a chance. And through all those efforts, she still, when she, when she fought so hard for us, she still couldn't keep us unshielded from the world. 
I want you to know I appreciate you. I want to say thank you to my grandmother, who's here. <laughs> she knows that I appreciate her so much. <laughs> Listen, I don't think any of you understand how many times I've sat down with my grandmother and had a conversation with her for hours, and she say, well, Tariq, you know you could talk all day. And I say, well, well I am my dad's child. <laughs> Uh, I just, I just want to say um, that at this moment I can recognize why some people who question my candidacy for such a, a, a position of this magnitude. And it's imperative that the great people of this Cuyahoga County knows exactly who their Cuyahoga County executive it is. I was born in 1994. That's right. For anybody who doesn't know their math or arithmetic, that was 28 years ago. <laughs> and no, I know that's comical relief, but listen, but what we're talking about is, is quite serious. I'm just adding a little levity to the situation. Throughout my childhood, I experienced an immense number of traumas. In my backyard as a child, I had a neighbor who was murdered. Now imagine that type of things to happen in your yard. And your kids are just supposed to just keep growing and act like nothing happened. Where's that level of counseling and mental health? Where's that level of assistance that is not necessarily there? See, those are the things that we need to be addressing while I'm talking about today. I'm bringing up some things that may come off to people and be a little unsettling. It may make you uncomfortable. But you know what? These are realities. And people are living through these very uncomfortable realities. Whew, let me tell you about the time where, <laughs> when, <clears throat> as a high schooler, I was uh, at Horizon Science Academy. So if anybody doesn't know, that's right off of North Marginal, uh, South Marginal Road, where now I believe is uh, Dick Goddard's Way, I believe it is, all right now. So, <laughs> so um, I used to catch uh, multiple buses there. At the time, it was the, the two as well as the 19 to get there, the 19 to the two every day to get there. So today you're gonna hear a little bit about some transit to me, because trust me, I know what that transit process was like back then, and it was, it was a nightmare to be a child, a young high schooler riding through those communities that we know we needed, needed a better transit system. All right, I was in speech and debate at one point, and I was the vice president of our speech and debate team. And this is something I was just telling some of the staff when we were in the back room was, first time I ever was in the city, the Cleveland City Club was when the Honorable Nun, Helen Prejean, was here. And she spoke about the issues of the death penalty. And I actually you know, got to listen to different types of insight and understandings of why the death penalty shouldn't be utilized. And I thought she was going to talk more about the aspects of the religious components to it. And she actually expressed more about the issues of the racial disparities, as well as the, the, the racial disparities, not just in terms of the, of the individuals being incarcerated, but as well being sentenced. So you know what, that, that took a really big imprint on me to hear something like that, to be honest. Because you know, I grew up in the 90s, and we know the post-90s, and we know what the crack cocaine epidemic was. So I've seen many examples of so many young people going into prison as opposed to actually being given a chance and an opportunity to live, to build their communities up, to own their communities. But instead, we've seen in our past so many pieces of our land and so many pieces of our land being taken and being used misproperly used. I want to tell you about when I joined the United States Navy in 2014. 
And the reason why I joined the United States Navy was because I said I wanted to learn a little bit more about what it's going to be like to be a leader, because I had to understand what it was like to be a follower. See, and this is something that is very distinct between myself and my counterparts here. I was someone who actually been on, on the line. I swore an oath saying that I was going to support the US, United States Constitution. And I'm going to tell you right now, I was honorably discharged in 2019. So that means, what does that mean? That means I, I fought the fight. And that means when you see the face of a veteran, you see the face of, of what, what people who are, who are fighting for justice in this country and fighting for your rights, your voting rights, you know that I am one of those people who put that on the line for you. When I joined, I went under the title of an aviation electronics technician at the intermediate level. Now, I know that's a lot to think about. So mainly what it was is I worked with radar. So I was a, I was a radar technician. And most of my, my career, I was a supervisor in that, in that area. But I, I started my journey in Great Lakes, Illinois. So that's where we had our Navy boot camp. And that's where I met some of the, the greatest people that I still hold dear to me. And I'm going to give a shout out to my division, Division 016. And I know if you're going to see this one day, I'm still talking to you. <laughs> so. Um, we, that's where I really learned camaraderie. When we went through some very tough, intense, strenuous times and what it was like to become a sailor. And I'm, trust me, when we crossed that line, we knew we were in. We, we were there then. <laughs> but when I went off to my school, uh, I, I graduated top of my class in NATTC uh, Pensacola, where I was the class leader, of, one of the co-class leaders of 30 Marines and 30 sailors. I was the honor student, so I was presented a recommendation from the officer in charge of NATCC to be materially promoted to a non-commissioned officer within my first six months of my naval career. For anybody who doesn't know, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> I was awarded uh, multiple letters of recommendation for, my, for being a peer tutor and ensuring all service members that, that went alongside of our, our cohort passed and completed our journey. I arrived at my ultimate duty station at what is FRCMA Debt Packs River, what is in St. Mary's County, Maryland. And I don't know if any of you ever been there before, but uh, Patuxent River only has approximately 1,200 people. <laughs> so it was a big change for me coming from the city of Cleveland to go into a Pax River. And uh, it, it was just, it was such a, a huge difference. But you know what, the backgrounds didn't change because I knew one thing in particular is that me being that young brother who grew up in a community that didn't have many chances, all I needed was, a, was one shot. You give me one shot, I know I'm gonna excel. And just like I did in my A school when I, when I became top of my class, shortly after that, I became the Sailor of the Year at my ultimate duty station at FRC and made that Pax River. And I was nominated, to, nominated for Sailor of the Year for the entire Mid-Atlantic. See, these are things that most people don't know about me, but listen, you're gonna learn today. <laughs> I held key positions within in, in, in FRCMA debt packs. I became the vice president of a coalition of sailors against destructive decisions, in which we provided alternatives to drunk driving and techniques to assist with sailors coping with our daily struggles. And if you haven't actually talked to a, to a veteran or talked to anybody who served, trust me, there's a lot of struggles that they're dealing with. And it leads to an immense number of individuals drinking drinking alcohol and becoming addicted to alcohol. And, this, and it leads to so many issues along with drunk driving and accidents and people losing their lives. But I want to actually talk to you a little bit about something else that, that, that occurs when you're in the service. 
Everything isn't always the good parts. You know, I know what it was like when I went first out to sea and I miss my dear wife. Cause I know I didn't talk about you yet, but you know I got to. <laughs> my wife Gabrielle, when 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 we left, I went out to my first time. I went out, went on what's called RIMPAC. RIMPAC is where numerous uh, countries they come together, joint uh, joint uh, missions where we go out to sea. And I didn't uh, I didn't I didn't see my wife for that time for about a couple months. And it was very difficult for me to adjust to that because I'd already been so accustomed to being away from my family. And my family doesn't even know this, but you got me through so many tough times and you never even knew it. But, but my wife, I want you to know that during those period of times, it was, it was very difficult to be out to sea and to be away from someone who was your significant other, you know, to want to call them, want to email them, and then you don't have the chance. And the reason why I bring those things up specifically is because something that I don't know of any of the other candidates talked about today uh, in their city club um, events was our veterans. We got 65,000 to 75,000 veterans in this county. In America, we lose 22 veterans a day to our battle with mental health. We lose so many great, brave souls that put their, their lives on the line to continue to support and defend the Constitution. And what we see in this country is, and I'm talking about us as a federal nation, as a whole nation right now, that we put far too much money into the militarism side and not enough in taking care of people. What I was able to gather when I was in the Navy, I worked in maintenance, you see some of the contracts and things that we had, you say, I can't believe that that's how much we spend on that part. Then you wonder, why is it that we don't have a healthcare system that's universal? You know what? See, I'm as your next county executive. I'm audacious enough to say, why is it that we don't have a universal housing initiative? Now, I know people may, run, may be saying, well, what kind of craziness is he talking about? No, I'm talking about this is a reality. The United Nations says that over 1 billion plus people are, living, are, are facing homelessness or, or, or facing housing insecurities. And they recognize that housing is a right. So you know what that means, as your next county executive, that means that housing is a right. Because no person should ever have to worry about where they're gonna lay their head. No person should ever have to worry about the financial insecurities that are associated with whether or not they can have a home to lay. We were seeing where people were being evicted during pandemics. We're not doing things every way the way it's supposed to be. And trust me, I understand. We have to have a, a, a level of, of under, of, of my apologies, I'm stuttering because of the anxiousness. <laughs> but we have to have this level of understanding that people deserve better. You deserve better. I'm gonna talk a little bit about our jail because I know I can't move away from our issues with our jail. As our Cuyahoga County Executive, I wanna make sure we address the elephant in the room and the elephant transcends beyond the horrid conditions of those who are incarcerated within our facilities, but also the overarching issues as it pertains to criminal justice. The United States of America is recognized as the home of the brave in the land of the free. But today, we have to acknowledge some real harsh truths. For us to be the home of the brave in the land of the free, why do we have 5% of the world's total population, yet we are 25% of the world's imprisoned population? And of those percentages, the largest percentages of them are filled with black men. 
And yes, I know this may be a harsh truth for people, but like I said, this is going to be some harsh realities that we have to bring to the fold. Because if we are not really talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, unless we're talking about addressing the systemic inequities that are in, inequities that are in place. See, so this is why I, as your next county executive, am always going to advocate and push for against cash bail systems. Because they're predicated on the basis of, the, of using a financial status of an individual being incarcerated as opposed to some type of objective obsess, assessment-based system that is going to be predicated on whether or not that that individual is more likely to commit certain offenses. We also need to address the fact that our jail had over 1,900 individuals in it, human beings that were held into these subhuman conditions. We, can't, we have to attribute most of these things to poor mismanagement and individuals who was the current occupant of the executive trying to push and pull all of the, to consolidate our, our jails and put them all into the Justice Center. What we need to be uh, talking about is directly how we're going to remove any individuals that does not need to be into the, in, that, in the jail at all. That is the transition in which we need to be talking about, stopping mass incarceration. So I'm always going to advocate for more dollars to be appropriated into the reentry process, because currently right now we're only putting about $2 million. I believe we can do so much more. When I speak to some of the, the workers who are in the in our, uh, Orana House and some of the other community organizers, I'm told so much of the issues that they're facing is people can't get access to any enough of the access to, the, to, to homes and some of these other things. So how is it that we're going to rehabilitate an individual if we're putting them back into a condition that they committed that crime out of proximity? See, that is a failure. That is an abject failure of governance. And we must segue away from those things. And I want to talk to everybody about the food bank, because I know that we, ha we, heard, uh, we heard a lot of people talk about how they met with the leaders of the food bank. So I had a meeting with the food bank very recently. Some of the members of my staff did. And we talked about some of the immediate, some of the immediate issues that are apparent. I want to say that throughout the pandemic, I had the opportunity to work alongside of so many community organizers and individuals who were providing uh, the necessary PPE during the pandemic, as well as food and uh, food distributions and things of that nature. And what we noticed was so many people behind that digital divide, so many people who are on that other side of the red line. And they weren't actually still receiving that critical information about where, where they can receive some of these, these information for shots and things like in that nature. And we just need to bolster those type of uh, forms of engagement. So when we were talking to the food bank, the food bank told me, they said, we have 1,100 partners. And of our 1,100 partners, that's how we, we distribute over 3 million pounds of food within two weeks. And I said, OK, that's amazing. Then I asked them, I said, but how can we do more? How can we do more? I said, well, and we talked about for our Cuyahoga County, we make sure that we put liaisons in all of in all of our with our with our 1,100 partners that are working in conjunction with the food bank to make sure that we can get the get people to sign on to whether they need SNAP or any other critical um, information that is provided by the county government. So that means that we'll have people who are going to be there directly assisting people as they're coming through and they need their resources. That way, we are we are alleviate, alleviating so many of these people who are not getting the critical resources that are necessary. Because quite frankly, what you find out is there's actually resources that are out there, but it's not being maximized in terms of its visibility. 
So that is letting you know that the ingenuity is there, and that's what happens when you bring somebody who served, because we think of so many different ways to, to find the answer to yes. Now, I also want to give one important uh, change that we're going to make to um, our innovation department. We will be revamping the innovation technology department and repurpose it, and it uh, to the cybersecurity and innovation department. This department will be marked as the turning point of the century. We must recognize that the elevated importance of robust cybersecurity standing in the face of this digital age. Americans have experienced some of the greatest disruptions which are often attributed to cybercrime. Americans have, my apologies, in 2017, over 47% of Americans were affected by the Equifax hack. How many people were affected by that? You don't have to raise your hand because we don't need to know that. <laughs> but now, how about the 2016 elections? Have I thought about that? And I want you to also keep thinking about the fact that who was ringing alarm on those things the entire time when he, we were when, as soon as he got back home. When I ran for Congress the first time, I said, we need to bolster our cybersecurity. When I ran the second time, I was the only candidate who said, we need to bolster our cybersecurity. How many people were affected by the Kronos ransomware attack? We got to think of these things, right? Now think about it in terms of the fact that right now we're looking at a war that is being conducted. A war that is not just being conducted in a conventional manner. And this is one of those things people are going to learn about what one of my degrees are in. So I have a master's in public policy, but my concentration is in national security. So we need to think about so many of the threats and the risks that are associated with these, with these uh, new ongoing uh, evolutions of technology. Cybersecurity has the Cyber attacks have the absolute ability to completely cripple an organization that is critical for, for people. Now you imagine if you have our government, our government sites, or, or targeted specifically through, through the use of a sophisticated cyber attack. How many people could be lost without direction? That's approximately 1.2 million people. That's how many people could be lost without direction. So. I want you all to understand a little bit more about what we need to be doing. I see that uh, Cuyahoga County government has stated that they're going to be attracting um, more, uh, more dollars via more, putting more grant writers out. So I say, and I charge to Cuyahoga County with the grant writers that you put out now, make sure you get every dollar that the Department of Homeland Security is offering to county governments and local governments, municipalities, because every one of those dollars could be associated to bolstering our cybersecurity, not just within the county government process, but also improving our businesses, our, our businesses, our organizations, and helping individuals here. So I see that we have some of these thing, information that's presented, but it's not being done in a manner, because we have to also evaluate how many people are being scammed. People are being scammed every day. People don't understand the importance of not just clicking links. Don't just click links, everybody. This is a message from the next county executive. Don't just click links. <laughs> if, you, if you have an unsolicited link, do not click it. That's, what, that's the best way we're going to put it in that manner. Make sure that you, when someone is sending something to you, you know what, who it's coming from. You understand what phishing is, what whaling is. Uh, and phishing is, is somebody who is attempt. Uh, my apologies. <laughs> Whaling is when someone attempts to uh, to be uh, pretend to be uh, the big shark. 
That's what it says. They're pretending to be the big shark. Fishing is someone using something, manipulative technique to convince you and to, to do something. And you click a link, and the next thing you know, boom, they got all your information. Uh, but without getting too much into too much depth to that, we want to make sure that we improve the cyber hygiene of this whole county. Last thing I want to make sure I touch on, because I know we're getting short on time. I want to talk about our major leagues. Oh, we know we love our major leagues in Cuyahoga County. We love our sports franchises in this county. Everywhere I went, I told everyone in the Navy, I used to say to them, I said, it's Cleveland over everything. <laughs> it's Cleveland over everything. I wore Cleveland everywhere we went. I don't care. When I was on that aircraft carrier, CVN7, I said, this is Cleveland, baby. Every day. I want y'all to know that that's what you made. You made that person that went out to, out to sea and said, it's Cleveland. That's what we were about. And I want you to know, when I was stationed in Maryland in 2016, I had people tell me I was absolutely delusional to think that the Cleveland Cavaliers would come back from being down three to one. Would just like to come back here from Cleveland. What we do? We came back three to one. And I told them, I said, I was going to go to the parade. And I said, I said, we're going to go see the parade. We're going to do it all. Didn't we come back to Cleveland, baby? <laughs> the rest is history. But you know what? We do want to say we were, we, people were saying they attributed that win to the MVP of uh, LeBron James and how well he played. But I like to think it was me being a six fan. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was a six fan, six man. I, I like to think it was me that had, had I brought that, that, that flavor in. <laughs> but we got, what we're talking about specifically is when it comes to our major league franchise teams, we need to make sure that we have a much more transparent, uh, transparency in the process. We're not going to create a, uh, a an idea to the people that we have an urgent matter that we have to immediately give $100, $200 million to major league teams. And to the major league teams, if you're listening, because I know you are, that's not me saying to you that we can't do business. Because absolutely, we're supposed to be doing business. We want to make sure this is the best damn county in the entire country. And I'm, I apologize for people don't like my terms. But listen, this is what we're fighting for. We're fighting to make this county to be the most inclusive, the most diverse, and the most equitable. So we're going to talk about some of those equitable programs. So I want to hear some questions about that, because I'm going to talk to you about some of those equitable programs whenever Q&As come up. Uh, but when it comes to our Cleveland sports, we got to make sure that we are giving you the best deal, and we're not just giving our tax dollars away to a major league sports franchise team that isn't giving us the best deal as well. So we want to make sure we take care of each other. That's what we're about, and make sure that we love our sports franchise teams. And now we can also say shout out to the Cleveland Guardians for getting rid of that name. <clears throat> I don't know what it is with deep-rooted uh, systemic <laughs> barriers and racism, but whoo, we got rid of just that part of it. <laughs> Now let's try to do some much more than symbolism. Let's actually give you some policy because we need a lot more policy. That's why I told you we're going to be advocating for that universal housing strategy. So let's go with that. I, I just I ask just as well as um, my Republican counterpart, uh, as opposed to uh, the Democratic colleague, uh, believe that we need to get rid of the Hilton. Full stop. I don't understand what, what some of these deals that we're, we're making. Uh, we're, we're bringing an excess amount of debt, and it's not actually even being utilized in a manner that is improving our stake as a county. Uh, we need to make sure that we're establishing a precedent, again, that what we purchase as an asset is an asset for the people that all the people can benefit from. So if that offends anybody here, um, my apologies for offending you and saying that we need good governments. governance. Thank you. 
but um, I want to make a pledge to you today. I will relinquish approximately $50,000 of my salary, which will equate to $200,000 in my first term. I do not plan on serving, uh, and my second pledge is I will not serve more than two terms in Cuyahoga County. And I know this may scare some people right now about who, who what's going to happen if a young 28-year-old Navy veteran political scientist <laughs> runs the county. But listen, I assure you, we won't, we won't be going, going crazy and we will not be under fire. What's going to happen is I'm going to provide you a different level of tenacity, a different level of ingenuity, a different level of in innovation, different level of eyes that's never been brought to the, to the fold. And I know we're talking about a series of firsts, as we're talking about the, the first black woman that's potentially about to become the Supreme Court Justice in the United States of America. See, and I don't know if anybody talked about that before, but you know I'm going to bring that flavor up here. Okay? <laughs> that's just what we have to do. And the reason why, this is so much more than just talking about bringing a person into the fold that is black, but making sure that that level of inclusivity is changing the way that the policy or the way it's interpreted towards the people. Because the color of law, we know the color of law has not always showed the shades of justice to, towards different shades of people. And if you know what I'm saying, you know what I'm saying. And why are we talking about the first black woman that's going to become the next justice? I think it's a time we need to be talking about who's going to become the first black man elected to Cuyahoga County Executive. Now that's something that we really need to be talking about because that's a whole different level of inclusivity. Why? Because we're talking about what kind of equity programs we can bring into this county. We are going to be the very antithesis of the redlining projects and we're going to green line communities. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to green line the communities. We're going to make sure that those individuals have the first chances to actually build their businesses in those communities as we start up our public projects and construction uh, and constructions through those areas. I know one of my counterparts talks a lot about economic de develop development, but you know what, when I talk about economic development, it usually doesn't include increasing the level of the invisible wall. I'm just saying. But for me, what I'm advocating for, for all the people out here today is that people want change, and I'm going to make sure we bring you change. I don't know every answer, but I assure you one thing is this. I'm going to bring the right people to the fold when it's time to make those changes. When we need to bring the right people in our count to, be the to, to put out our BNM budget, we're going to be fiscally sound and make sure that we still have a balanced budget because we have a duty to make sure we have a balanced budget. But we're going to make sure that humanitarian uh, purposes are always valued prior to anything else. That is the way we look at our, our budget. People over business. Because people are the ones who ultimately are the ones who are impacted. But we're always going to make sure we, take, we build up more businesses, that we have more individuals that have a chance just to live, just to fight. Thank you. And I know it was a little long-winded, but all love to you. <laughs> We're about to begin, oh, no problem. We're about to begin the audience Q&A. We welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, and those of you joining us via live stream at cityclub.org. If you're here in person, please raise your hand and remain seated until a staff member indicates it's your turn to step up to the microphone. Our live stream viewers can tweet questions at the City Club or text them to 330 Five four one five seven nine four. That's three three zero five four one five seven nine four. 
and our staff will try to work it into the program. May we have the first question, please? Yes, sir. What, if elected, what would you do to make Cuyahoga County a more welcoming place for immigrants and refugees? All right, uh, definitely thank you. I want to say thank you for your question so much. Uh, I want to first say this because I, I, I apologize because it didn't come in, in my speech just recently. I want to make sure that we, we, we talk about the people in Ukraine right now, the war in Ukraine. Uh, me as a person who served the war is something that is most people have no idea how much how it's going to impact how many fathers and how many mothers are going to be losing their children and who have, who have already. So I want to say that my, my, my love is for the people who are displaced throughout this process. My, my love is for the people who are also who are within Russia, who are actually fighting behind that wall against the persecution to protest against the war. I want to say that my, my love is to all the people throughout the world that are facing these huge issues as it pertains to war. We should always say no to war and always put more money for poor. Now, it was a great, a, a great poet once said that in a different manner, but you all, you all know. But to answer your question, to what we can do to actually make sure that we take care of our, um, our immigrants into this community is, um, again, uh, we, we're, we're pushing number one for a universal, universal housing guarantee. Uh, so in, in that aspect of things, we want to make sure that we have an aggressive, uh, aggressive housing placement, making sure that individuals have a place to stay, they don't have to face that insecurities of coming through, as well as in terms of making a more transparent governmental process, <clears throat> there's different languages that people who, who speak. In fact, when I went to Horizon Science Academy, I learned how to speak what is Turkche. So, so one thing I would say is Bini Madim Tariq. So, uh, so anybody who knows the language of, Tur of Turkche, don't, please don't be mad at me if I don't sound as sharp as I used to be. But yes, those would be some of those things that we could do. Is there any other things specifically that you're looking for as well? Because right now, this is the time. I'm, well, you work with uh, Global yeah. Cleveland to connect these people so that uh, they'll be able to um, work with people who have immigrated before from their country so it'll be an easy transition? Yes, that's, yes, we can do that, absolutely. Now, let's, because uh, uh, I believe we, were, we, were, we, had a meet, we had a meeting that got broke down like, at least like twice for some, some issues. So let's, uh, let's, let's definitely make sure we get that set back up and we can definitely keep going from there. Let's build some change. Um, we have a question, uh, question from Twitter. Due to sprawl, this actually was a urban question. Urban sprawl? It's about urban sprawl. Okay, yeah, right. yeah, it was actually asked yesterday of Lee Weingart, your Republican opponent. Due to sprawl development, over 60% of jobs in Cuyahoga County aren't transit accessible. In Cleveland, 25% of households don't have access to a car. Public transit is a lifeline to get to jobs, groceries, doctors, and all of life. How will you support public transit? Um, if I haven't said this already, I believe I posted this somewhere on my Twitter account. If anybody has ever checked it, it's Tariq underscore Shabazz underscore. I got to plug myself in. <laughs> um, but my answer is we want to make sure we're advocating to get, if, if not free, as minimal cost as possible for transit. Uh, just like we saw throughout the, um, our All-Star Weekend, we saw you know, free transit movement around. The city looked beautiful. People were moving around, had the ability to see how, how great it was. But we know that that was done for the business side of things. But now how can we make sure we can translate that and put it for everyday people? Like you just asked about in terms of how many people, they don't have access to transportation or how long it takes to get to one side. In fact, I spoke to one of our union leaders, <clears throat> and I asked him a question. I said, well, how many people are we dealing with uh, 
that that are are losing their potential uh, chance to to be to gain employment. He said we're losing potentially a twenty percent because people can't get access to the, uh, to transportation here. He said and it, and it's costing people positions. And I said why? So I said those are one of those things we need to definitely take into account. And as well, another thing to add, to talk about transit, I want to say something about um, our veterans. I had a conversation with the director of the uh, county veterans commission. I don't know again if any of my other. I don't know if any of my other counterparts has, has done any of these things. But he talked to me about a little bit about how much it costs to send some of the veterans to go just to go get uh, medical appointments. He said it was about $200,000 just to send them to go to medical appointments for bus tickets. What are we doing? Do I have to say that part out loud? What are we doing? The death spiral of transit, uh, how, we, how we stop for that is we continue to invest more into the transit. We make sure that, again, that that is a humanitarian process because we cannot actually impede on our ability for free life and transportation. Because if people can't actually get to where their point of employment, how in the world are they going to be able to take care of their households? And uh, as well as employment, make sure that we increase our, our minimum wage as much as possible. We say that it's a comparable level is 15, but no, it's more likely to 20 plus. Now, we definitely need to be speaking with more of our experts and ec economists to see how we can actually implement this on a county level. Yeah. I hope that it answers your question. Um, hi, you, you're, you, you propose to become the executive of a county that has an extraordinary number. Absolutely. Of municipalities. 59 municipalities. And, and, and an extraordinary number of school districts and entities within it, many of which do not understand each other or see the, the, uh, uh, any commonality between them. And I wonder, what is your assessment of the um, uh, state of the county in terms of being a community together and of uh, parts of that community understanding each other? Well... Quite frankly, again, this is where those parts of the time where I got to give you the real, just the harsh realities. Cuyahoga County, we have 59 municipalities that it's comprised of, but we have two tails in Cuyahoga County. Uh, we got <laughs> we got a side, like let's look for instance, we got a Bay Village and we got an East Cleveland. They're, they're both almost similar in terms of the population size, if you go look it up in the census. However, if you look at some of these other statistics, they're glaringly different. Now, I'm going to say this about it, like for instance, it's 90 plus percent black in, uh, in um, East Cleveland and you have 90 plus percent white or Caucasian in Bay Village, you also see the poverty levels are substantially different. The, the distinction of it couldn't be, you couldn't see it even further from, from a mile away, you can see that it's right there, it's that, it's that, it's that easy. Um, and what you'll notice is, is that we aren't actually performing the equitable process from the county government level. Um, we aren't making sure that it's inclusive enough and in bringing in these leaders from all over in these areas who was actually coming from the grassroots level to bring in that change and that cohesiveness amongst us as a whole county. And I want everyone to notice, this is what I'm, I'm, I want to be. I'm going to be the bridge for many people. I'm not just going to be the bridge for the people who are the wealthy. I'm not going to be the bridge for the people who are impoverished. I'm going to be the bridge for our seniors. I'm going to be, a, I'm going to be the bridge for our youth. And as you can tell, I, I got my, my counterparts beat on that part. I got to be pretty well on that part right now. But listen, that's what I want you to understand. I want to, I'm going to be that bridge. And to our seniors, I want you to know this very important right now. You have fought so hard all your lives. You have been walking. You have been marching. You have been everywhere you can be to keep the fight for voting rights, to keep everything alive, to make sure we have uh, better health care systems, better, better, uh, better education. And I want you to know that your work has not gone unnoticed. It is not gone in vain. 
I want you to know right now, when I, when we, when we, when I used to do retirement ceremonies, we would do this thing called Old Glory. It's a speech that's, that's, that's done. And when Old Glory was sung, it's when every person who's a sailor from each of their ranks, they pass the ensign, which is our flag, to each other. And as it's passed up to each different rank, it comes to the individual that's, that's retiring. And what you understand is, is that you stand on the shoulder of giants. You know, that I'm not just some young kid. I'm a man who has served this country, and I know what it takes. And I want you to understand that when all glory is said and when it's done, it's to let our seniors know just the same way, too, is this, is that we know that you've, you've done all these things. It's our time. We're ready to take on that mantle. We have the fire in us. We have it all inside of our spirit right now. We know that we have the brains, the wit, because we're a product of your work and your efforts. Allow us to carry that torch on and bring that change for the next generations to come. Sorry. And expounding on that, um, I know you've been having conversations with grassroots organizers, um, and there is a current participatory budgeting initiative where grassroots organizers are working with city government and council members to implement a new node of accountability, um, equity, and shared power with regards to budget. Um, are there any particular mechanisms that you're looking to um, sort of create or transfer from your background in government and military into your role as county administrator? Well, in that capacity, I want to definitely say we need a much more tra uh, transparent county, uh, county government. We need to have, have, a, have a setting where it's, we, we establish benchmarks and where people can actually see that we're meeting each of these benchmarks when we're missing them, and, and everything needs to be done all the way out in the open. So uh, as well as the data, the data, you go through our sites, it's a jumbo of a lot of a lot of information that is not very easily to, to, to cipher through. So we definitely want to make sure that we are, um, we're making those additions to, and those additions are changing the way the information is presented. So it is not in a manner that is hard to read, hard to understand. It needs to be where we can show every dollar. So if we got a dollar from the federal government, Right. Even if we have to do info charts, a little charts of things like that to show people like this dollar came from the federal government, hit us on this day. Um, and then this this the next date. On this date, we took the check and it went to here. Then this date. Th so you all know where every bit of your dollars are going. And that kind of segues a little bit about our, our land reutilization efforts. Um, under my administration, there may be some changes and some shakeups to how we view our land bank. We need to definitely evaluate what's going on with our land in this county. So I'm going to let you all know that right now, who's the people who hear it and they know they hear it. We will be making some changes. So I hope that answers your next, any other questions regarding that as well. We have a, a number of questions that have been submitted by text. Okay. And, um, but I also, you, you alluded to something pretty big just there in about wanting to change how the land bank functions, and I want to invite you to say a little bit more about the problems you see. Well, uh, well, let's say that we've had many conversations going on throughout people in this county of talking about how their land is being taken from them. We've had many conversations about how there's been the way, not just how the land's being taken, but also the process of the land being taken, but land being given. Uh-oh, that part out loud again. See. 
This is some of those things that people are about to find out about. Uh-oh, listen, there's an actual county executive that actually has done a little bit more research and wants to actually make some real change for the people here. And I want you all to understand that this is why if you want to be a change agent, you cannot be afraid to tell the truth. You cannot be afraid to say that we need to do some things differently. So maybe we need to start looking at our green initiatives and how we may use the land bank to green light land in some form or fashion. We need to really evaluate how we can do those type of things. Next question. This question uh, came in via text. The county recently declared racism a public health crisis. Do you see the county doing enough to address racial disparities? And if not, what would you do differently? Absolutely not. That's my answer to that. We're not, we're not even close. We're not even close. Uh, <clears throat> we're not close. Uh, that's why I said we need to make sure that we have uh, specificity and pol policy that actually really affects the, the communities that are marginalized. Um, we can't always say that a policy that is going to be all-inclusive is necessarily going to trickle down, because that's the same thing as accepting that unfettered ca uh, capitalism, um, a little mixed in with uh, social welfare, social corporatism, or social welfare for the corporate, corporate people is going to trickle down to the little people. It never does. So we have to make sure our policy is more direct. That way we remove any uh, areas of ambiguity in which the dollars are being appropriated actually averts from what we actually even we appropriated it for. Um, so that's the answer to that, to that question. Oh, and you asked no. me how can we do better as well, right? That is that was, what you that said? That was the second part of that question. Okay, okay. So, again, that's why one of the things I'm talking about in terms of our equity programs, specifically um, to, our, to the black community, I'm talking to the black community right now, that's uh, living in some of the most debilitating uh, conditions, especially in terms of, uh, like I said, in East Cleveland, which is recognized as what, the poorest city in the state of Ohio, as well as Cleveland, Ohio is being recognized as the poorest big city in the entire country. And you see what I talk about redlining. This is the reason why we made up this, where we're talking about greenlining these communities, because historically the individuals who are behind those same red lines are still suffering from the same level of conditions that have put so many people behind that red line. Uh, that invisible wall is not actually getting better. And in fact, whenever we start to invest into any of these communities, who are the people who are even actually receiving some of the, the virtue of it? The people who live in the communities aren't necessarily even receiving any of the, vir any of the, the blessings of, of the dollars that's being appropriated because they can no longer afford to stay there. So we need to also address the actual, our, um, our, our development, uh, our LLCs that are out of state that keep purchasing land all throughout this county and raising our rental prices. So we're gonna have to see what we gotta do to, to, hold, uh, to hold these people accountable. And it's not enough to say, that, you know, it's shelled between too many different LLCs and, uh, no, we got to do more work. Listen, I, when, I, when I served in the Navy, I had, a, I had an officer that told me, my commander, my command officer, my commander, he said, he said, you know what, Petty Officer Shabazz, I'm going to tell you this, you need to always have an answer how you get to yes. Because don't nobody want to ever hear that you, can't, you just said you can't do it. And that's what I want you to understand. That's what I'm bringing the culture to hear is how do we get to yes? I don't want to hear that it's too difficult because we will make sure we do, do whatever we can to find it. Thank you, Tariq. I've enjoyed listening to you today. One of the things I'm curious about is the pandemic has really affected things the past couple of years. And I'm curious, what have you seen as the biggest uh, issue that you've seen during the pandemic and how do we address it moving forward? 
Well, um, I'll say it's, a nu it's numerous things, especially as, a, as an individual who was a candidate for Congress. Um, I would say some of it is the uh, language of the, of the federal bills that were written, and that it was it's, it, it created these conditions in which where you, you, we're talking about now a public health crisis that's about to you know potentially going to it's going to end soon, right? What happens to all those people who are who are who are using you know food from the food bank? You know who's going to start losing some of those resources? What's going to happen to some of those people who are who are who are waiting for those that, those amount of resources that got increased due to that crisis? We're going to have a public health crisis that's much larger than people are actually even acknowledging right now, and that's why I'm telling you right now I'm forward thinking. That's to let you know that this was the type of longevity that has to be implemented in the county. We have to prepare for those things, make sure that when we appropriate more of our dollars, and I want to say thank you partly to the Cuyahoga County, exec, uh, to the Cuyahoga County government and re, uh, remaining some additional ARPA funds that we can, we'll be able to utilize in our, in our administration. But I do want to say that I wish we would have actually utilized them much sooner uh, to supplement so many of these issues that people are going to be dealing with. So I hope that answers your question. Good afternoon. Great good afternoon, to be good here. Afternoon, good afternoon. This might be a big question. We um, might. I don't want to run over. But <laughs> you know, what does the county jail look like to you, and where do you think it should be? Number one, I want to say this: that I have personally not been into this county jail, but I've been working with uh, many of the activists alongside who have, who have informed me of so much information and things in the areas where I need to make sure I take this language to go. I have not, we have not came to a conclusion yet definitively of where the county jail should be, nor have we actually decided should we rush the process or expedite the process and spend the $550 million to potentially a billion dollars um, in the construction and operation. But what we can say definitively is, is that we need to re reduce the level of individuals who are being held into these facilities because, as I stated earlier, they are recognized as subhuman in some of these conditions. Uh, <clears throat> we need to make sure that any of these satellite facilities that we we still if we if we can utilize any of those satellite facilities put put any an individuals incarcerated if that's an option we need to make sure we we think of all type of feasible uh, any ways that are feasible right now I want to tell you definitively that it is it is consequential for a political leader to come before you without having you know full input from the entire community um, as well as our stake leaders and things in that nature to say to you this is what we're gonna do. But what we are going to say is to you is this, is that what we are going to do is we're going to make sure that we, we provide, we get more of that input, and we make sure that we don't rush the process in spending some of the most dollars that we're going to ever spend, and make sure that when we are spending any dollars that's going to go to incarceration, that we make sure that we put more dollars to the level of prevention, which is via economic security packages, housing security packages, things in nature, as well as making sure that when those individuals go through the incarceration process and they become a returning citizen, they're treated with the dignity that they deserve and they should have been treated with the entire time while they were incarcerated. Because nothing, nothing changed. I'm, I come from a background of discipline and everybody has to get a little discipline sometimes. So my question goes back to um, your initial comment regarding um, the refugees that may be coming from Ukraine, um, and then also mitigating the lack of ownership, whether it's home ownership or land ownership, for the black community in Cleveland. Um, so I've noticed in my neighborhood, I've seen a lot of folks coming from the Ukraine and other countries like France to purchase homes because it's much cheaper for them to purchase homes here in Cleveland. 
However, I haven't seen um, the elevation of equity or accessibility for blacks in the city. So how do you um, sort of reconcile um, with welcoming folks from other countries who may easily attain ownership uh, much more readily than folks who've been in the city for 20, 40, 50 years? 100%. I think that's a, that question was, is number one, I think that uh, everyone should understand how important that question is. Because what, what's being asked is, are you going to essentially rubber stamp funds is going to go to potentially immigrants that are coming in as opposed to the individuals who are already living in these conditions who need to have access to housing, who need to have access to these things. And anyone who questions if that's a, a dangerous or bad question, it's not. It's a reality. People live in these conditions and they want to know, make sure that they have the same access to housing. So no, to answer your question, as I swear, one of the things I was stating, the equity program of when we talk about greenlining, specifically some of those things are acknowledging the black community. Well, that's why I was talking about where those dollars are going to be appropriated to make sure that the black businesses can flourish in the communities that they already are if they've been left behind in that red line. Um, those are those things that I'm talking about specifically to make sure that they're able to purchase that land. And we have an immense amount of land here. I think that we don't understand that what Cuyahoga County, we have a lot of land <laughs> that houses 1.2 million people. So uh, next question, if that was the end, I'm not sure. And this, uh, this will be the last question, I think. Um, during both of your congressional runs, you were a champion for reparations for African Americans. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Let me say that again, absolutely. Report, reports from Prosperity Now and the Institute for, Public, for Policy and the Institute for Policy study show that median wealth for black families will reach zero by 2053. What would equity and repair for African Americans look like in the Tariq Shabazz administration? Uh, well, number one, I want to also still acknowledge that um, I did su I, I support it and I still support the federal reparations pro uh, implementation um, for the uh, descendants of slavery because we understand the impacts of not only slavery but the many other issues associated with the oppressive policies that's been constructed over time. Um, recognizing the Homestead Act and how the Homestead Act was something where the federal government gave away huge amounts of public land to the people <clears throat> and 90 plus percent of that didn't even go towards the black community. So this is what we talk about where housing is one of the greatest genera uh, generators of wealth. Um, and we understand also in this country what we were talking about is in terms of housing is that inheritance is the greatest builder of wealth. Do you notice that the majority of their very, very, very wealthy people who are ultra wealthy in this country, they didn't just come from self-made conditions. No, not many of them did not. Many of them came from conditions where they had someone who could pass down $200,000, pass down $50,000. Hey, mom, you got $50,000 to hand me? <laughs> See, and that's what I mean right there. And that's what I'm talking about. So. Uh, so to answer your question, absolutely, I support, uh, I, I do support uh, reparations on the federal level, but on the county level, what I was just talking about specifically is greenlining the black, uh, the black community. If we have to go, th go about it through a lineage-based system or whatever ways to circumvent these wacky laws that you know, are utilized to oppress and continue to oppress people, we'll have to do what we have, we have to do. And we're just recognizing it again is that we don't want to come to a conclusion too early and say that this is the hardcore way we have to do it. Because if you say that very early on, we haven't went through all of the community input and we haven't went through all those things of that nature. So I'm going to welcome in to all leaders for all of the orgs who will want to see advocation for uh, equity programs specifically for the black community. Come out, reach out. Call me at 216-584-8561. And also, you can donate to us at uh, <laughs> Friends of Shabazz Act Blue. Make sure you do that because... 
I don't know if any of you noticed, it costs an immense amount of dollars to run a campaign, especially to go across 59 municipalities. And it's horrendous how much it costs to just try to even just be a good candidate. I mean, you, you, people are saying you're going to be a million-dollar race. Do you understand how crazy that sounds? <laughs> this race should, should be based upon who is going to present the best policy, not who's going to have the biggest war chest. Uh, and if we're talking about biggest war chest, I mean, I don't know that many people here who got, you know, challenge coins. I mean, I might be the only one that got something like that that I can hold onto myself. So I hope that answers your question. Today at the City Club, we've been listening to the final of three forums leading up to the 2022 primary elections featuring candidates for Cuyahoga County Executive. A big thanks to Bill Levesi, Jennifer Lumpkin, and all the members of the City Club Debate Committee for their time and dedication to bring all three of these important candidate conversations to you, the people. These candidate conversations will continue on Friday, April 8th, the City Club will welcome Democratic candidate and former state senator, Nina Turner. She will come to the stage to talk about her platform for Ohio's 11th district. Tickets are still available for this forum, and you can purchase them and learn more about other forums at cityclub.org. And that brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you, Tariq Shabazz, and thank you, members and friends of the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Will Tarter, and this forum is now adjourned.